0: Get 15% off a year of digital access to Vanity Fair by visiting VanityFair.com and using promo code POD15 at checkout. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a full year of insights and exclusive digital access. Subscribe now. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair. It's such an honor to present this
1: next award.
0: And here are the nominees. And the Oscar goes to...
1: And the Oscar goes to... And I can't deny the fact that you like me
2: right now. You like me! I'm the king of the world! There's a
3: mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture.
0: I'm Katie Rich, the deputy editor of VanityFair.com, and I'm here by myself because it is the week between Christmas and New Year's. We're taking a little bit of a break. And we are going to share two interviews with some of the people who made some of the best work of this year, and actually the funniest, as it turns out. Um, first, we're going to share an interview that I did with Kristen Milioti, who is the co-star of Palm Springs, which was a huge highlight of my summer quarantine, and as I think it was for a lot of people. It premiered at the Sundance Film Festival, and we talked about that, about how she got this experience of watching her movie play for a big crowd of people. And uh, little did she know she would be one of the last people to get to do that. Um And about how the conception of the movie has changed As uh, the world has really changed over the course of this year Uh, She was a great interview So I'm really excited to share that And then we're going to hear an interview That uh, my colleague Chris Rosen did with Jason Wollner Who's the director of Borat 2 Subsequent movie film And as you might imagine He has a lot of fascinating stories About how they pulled that off Including um, getting Rudy Giuliani To um, do one of the many uh, Train of embarrassing things that he did this fall So first up, let's hear my conversation With Kristen Milioti So thinking about the film Sundance premiere, like, have you, have you gone back and reflected on it? Like you've done press for this movie in the Zoom vacuum, but you had that moment of like being there in person for this. Does that feel like, does that stand out more for you now as we drag into many months of this pandemic?
1: Yeah. I mean, mostly, you know, that was the last time I was part of a communal experience. Like seeing the premiere of that film in the library with 400 some odd people and no one knew what the film was about and no one knew all the twists and turns and the, the whole cast and creatives. We were all together, um, seated in the back, all excited, and but also very nervous. And it was incredible to like be in a dark room with hundreds of people and go through an experience together. I mean, that's my favorite thing on earth to do.
0: Yeah. Have you ever been to a premiere like that for something you'd worked on where it was like such a surprise unfolding for people?
1: In terms of like spoilers?
0: Or just, I guess like v- that you can viscerally feel what the audience is going through. Like I think about like Wolf of Wall Street, like that has a lot of like twists and turns and surprise moments. But for, for this having like the work you guys did to keep the secrets, like you can you can ride that wave with the audience when you're experiencing it together.
1: I thought of the Wolf of Wall Street premiere actually because that was at the, oh goodness, is it the Ziegfeld? Oh yeah. It must've been. It, yeah. It was uh, yeah. Spot. And it was gorgeous and huge. And it was to see that movie in, you know, and that movie goes to some very <laughs> <laughs> upsetting places, obviously. And to be in a room with thousands, I mean, and how many, how many people, a thousand people does that? Oh be? yeah. It was enormous. Oh, a enormous. Theater. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think, I, I feel like, you know what? I was at a Paley Fest screening of that, of the Black Mirror episode I did.
0: Oh yeah. that's and a good And I remember
1: being there and I don't, you know, it was like months before it premiered and that was probably for an audience of like two or 300. And I remember um, being there and witnessing that and, and being very excited by their reactions yes. because yeah, of the I twists think- and turns. in that too was a bunch of, you know, whenever you hear a crowd make a sort of a, unison, like, oh, That's, <laughs> in- <just> incredibly validating.
0: <laughs> and there's a lot of those impulses. There's, there's, like, the, like, emotional surprise and then just, like, you know, getting your teeth knocked out on the pool deck. Like, there's a lot of, like, various crowd reactions yeah, you can have in that. Yeah,
1: it felt like I was in a movie of when they show footage of, like, audiences in the 60s or
0: something. Like, it felt... (laughs) Like, people, like, like flinging their popcorn in the air.
1: Yeah, like, it felt of a time. Yeah. As opposed to, like, people, you know, watching movies in a movie theater and, like, looking at their phones or, Mm -hmm. you know, like, talking. Like, it felt very unified and yeah unison, and it was beautiful and I and I obviously took t- this is a very roundabout way of answering your question which is yeah I cling to that memory now more than I thought <laughs> I ever would outside of just being so excited to see how it was received but yeah I mean that's the last time I got to do that and I think any of us in involved in that screening got to do that
0: yeah yeah I was in uh in LA when we had the Oscar party in February and like that was like a it was it was early so it was like two, a week or two after Sundance and that was my last
1: thing that I got to Me do too. That was my last thing. It oh. was a Vanity Fair party. Oh my god. And I went with a bunch of my friends and we had a ball and we were dancing and yeah. like till we were out till very 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 late and <laughs> having the best time and um that was the last time.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm glad that we got to experience that together. Even yeah. if we didn't know it at the time. I know, even if we didn't know at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, you know when the when the film came out in July like I wasn't sending it so I, it kind of came to me and I knew that there was a twist I think like it, it kind of leaked through eventually from people having seen it and so when you talk to people who have experienced it more like do you think that we're thinking about it differently are you thinking about it differently like now that it's not such like a protected secret when you talk about it?
1: Yeah I think that I still pretty strongly feel that the less you know about it going in the better um, you know I don't know anything about how marketing works but I know that You know, when we were doing press for it in July, um, I would be asked a lot, like, well, you know, they they would refer to it as a romantic comedy, which I totally understand. Yeah. Yeah. See, that fits. Yeah, it's like like sort of fits. Yeah. It sort of fits, but to me, one of the many reasons I was so excited to do it was that I remember reading it, and this is almost two years ago now, and, and feeling like it was this existential comedy, and that actually, like as funny as it was, there was I was extremely upset by it mm-hmm. and moved by it, and um, it made me think about a lot of things that you don't necessarily expect when you cracked that script open. Yeah, um, and that's exactly what the film does too, and I so I try to sort of. If I do interviews, or if I don't know, even if I I meet someone who's like, "Well, oh, I haven't seen that yet," I sort of try and say, "Stay away from as much as you can." Yeah, which I know is not like great for marketing,
0: <laughs> but it's which kind is of why like I'm a, not a marketer. <laughs> well, isn't that the whole thing with like the sixth sense though? It was like you have to go see it before it gets spoiled for you. So like everyone rushes out to see it. So maybe it's like a it's like a stealth marketing thing.
1: Yeah, well, and I also think people go in with a certain amount of expectations. If they hear if they hear romantic comedy, I think certain parts of someone's brain can shut off.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. And
1: I think what I really love about this film is that it does so many different things and goes into so many different directions that if you're... I, I want you to be able to be open to all of it because it mm-hmm. goes on, like, a very uh, crazy ride.
0: Yeah. I remember when it came out, I mean, it was in July, and, like, people were saying, like, oh, it's the movie that we didn't know was going to be perfect for being in quarantine. And it that didn't hit me, like, as much at the time for some reason. Um, but watching it again just recently, I'd like, so much of the, like what we owe to each other and how to like be good to people in the world really hit me more. Like it, it does feel like it has evolved over the course of this like very intense human year. Um, that's, I mean, it's, it's gotta be like rewarding to be able to witness that and having been part of it is rewarding to watch.
1: Immensely, immensely rewarding and, and an impression in a way that obviously we could have had no idea. Although like sort of going back to what I said about an existential comedy, it's, it's actually exactly what you're saying. Like, and even that is probably too exacting of a phrase, I remember when I read it and we were making it, I was so struck by how it was to me about two people who are desperate to escape themselves.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And the, 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 obviously the, the um, I'm, I'm, see, I'm, see, even, I'm trying, I'm even trying to protect spoilers on here <laughs> for so long. You know, obviously there are mechanisms in the film that, you know, you can take away and it's still the same problem. Sure. And I yeah, think yeah. What they are themselves no
0: matter what are crazy no matter situation what. they found themselves in. You are
1: yourself no matter what. You're yourself yeah. no matter what situation you're in and I think that that's been one of the things that's been what I hope to be I can only speak for myself uh, silver lining about this this time is that you are forced to sit with yourself and it's, yeah. it's very uncomfortable and it's very and you have to look at all types of things and there's you can't go out for a glass of wine, you can't. I mean, you can and then they shut it down again <laughs> rightfully. So, <laughs> so like, you know, it's um And the film always struck me as that too, that it's just that, it's that like age old saying, wherever you go, there you are. Yeah. Um, And I thought that was so brilliantly done.
0: Um, okay, so go, go back to Paul and me for a second. When you've done interviews, you've really um, kind of talked about how much you loved how flawed this character is. Like how she's like, not just like charming flaws, like really deep psychological stuff to it. And you've been acting for a long time. You've been, you know, you started in Broadway. So you've got like, you know, I think Broadway has or theater has more of a reputation for being like deeper characters. Have you watched the film industry get better about that and about like about roles that come to you that have more nuance that aren't like as afraid to let characters be real people or is Palm Springs just like one tiny thing in an oasis of, uh, of r- rougher stuff?
1: I'd say it's both. I'd say yeah. I've noticed a huge difference for sure. I mean, I think about the things that I auditioned for in the beginning of my career and they would chill your blood <laughs> and they chilled mine at the time yeah. but you just, you you felt like you had to or you didn't know, you also needed to pay your rent and put yeah. it on the table and like, what were you going to do? And um, so I would say that the industry is totally changing in in ways that is so, uh astonishing that we're still discussing this in 2020. Sure. uh, In so many ways that, you know, that the world is asking for stories other than just about a bunch of white guys. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that's like, and then then the industry has just been like, huh, fancy that. Like, you know, (laughs) anyway. Um, and then, yeah, I think that as much as it's changing and, and the change has been positive and, and swift and like really in the last couple of years has grown and grown and grown, I would still say that this role felt on the rarer side, yeah, for sure. To, yeah. You know, just to be able to do the amount of things that that role allowed me to do and explore, yeah, for sure. So I, I think it's both, but it definitely is. Oh my goodness, so much better. Yeah.
0: Um, do you think it, get, it gets better as you get older too? Like I feel I like for if you're a twenty-two say that year, year old, well. yeah. I was say that as
1: well. I mean, there were years where I was like only auditioning for like you know um, dead college student in a in a <laughs> trunk and or like you know. Girl at a party whose pants fall down in front yeah. of you know like Adrian Grenier or something. I don't know. Like it was like a lot of like entourage type. Yeah. Or like SVU. Um, and yes, I think that there's less dim- there was there was certainly back then less dimension get- given to women in their twenties. And so yeah. yes, I do think it gets better as you as you get older for
0: sure. I didn't realize how much the thirty rock role you did was so early in your like screen acting career. Like, that,
1: like so that's like but a that, really like, that's yeah. such a gift to get at oh that goodness. age. A gift in, in so I, I, I'm a gift in so many ways because that was my favorite show at the at the oh, time I would yeah, watch it in real time I would you know this was before DVR <laughs> and I would tune in every once you know every night mm-hmm. that it aired I mean I didn't air any every night you know what I mean yeah um I would watch it in real time and I had been watching that season even and I was just so thrilled and Tina Fey was and still is a hero and that was such an incredible uh, spoiling experience because that was also the exactly the type of thing that not only what I watch but the thing that I, like a skewering of the like, can women be funny and the yeah. sort of over-sexualization and just all the things that that episode deals with while still making Liz Lemon, of course, the butt of the joke. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah it was deeply deeply spoiling but I remember doing that and being like yes this is what I like
0: does making a movie like this that so much of it is at a wedding make you feel differently about real weddings have you even been to a real wedding since this movie was filmed given how few I thought you met in general, <laughs> general and I'm like oh yeah no I have but like I haven't been to one no. since this movie came out I have not
1: attended a wedding since this movie came out
0: it uh, made me no. miss them and but I don't know if you filmed this movie and you're like alright I'm done no more lavish no, weddings I didn't know like, because
1: it felt so different you know that wedding stuff we shot so fast this movie shot incredibly fast yeah um and I think all that wedding stuff was done at like four in the morning over the course of five nights so it didn't feel you know so much of that shoot feels like it was just me and Andy yeah. in a car in the desert on the side of a road yeah um, yeah because that was sort of the majority of the time but um No, it made it a, it was actually, I really wish we'd gotten a a more chance to shoot that stuff because I loved that cast so immensely and I thought they were all so wonderful and I laughed so hard in those scenes and um, yeah, I wish we could have spent more time together. But no, it didn't make me tired of weddings at all.
0: I'm ready to go to a wedding again. I'm just like give I'm just me ready a, give to go me a, dance to a dance floor. I know exactly. I don't care what it is. It should, obviously, it could anything. Any yeah. dance
1: floor, I want to go to. Right yeah, now. it's
0: it's. It might get a little embarrassing when that time comes. Yeah. Um. You were, you had talked in another interview about shooting the um the tent scene and the, like the dinosaur scenes with Andy and like why that one felt especially meaningful, which I thought was interesting because like you said, like you guys are filming so much this movie, just the two of you. Like, there's a lot of togetherness time. But why was why did that one stand out in particular as like? I think you said it was, like, especially intense or, like, you, like, connected in a way that, like, isn't necessarily easy to when you're making a movie.
1: I think there was a couple things going on. I think that, um, one, that scene lends itself to that. You know, like, you're dealing with two characters who, as much time as they're spending with each other, they they don't know how to be vulnerable mm-hmm. with each other. And they're very vulnerable with each other in that scene. Um, also, a lot of that scene was shot from very far away. yeah. Obviously, there's some super wide shots, but then some of it, they just they set the cameras up and they all like backed away. And it felt like we were alone in the middle of the desert. Just these two characters trying to connect in this way that neither one of them had really tried to before. And um, it felt very intimate and beautiful. And we also got to really take our time with it as well. Mm -hmm. That scene used to be about twice as long, too. And so I think they really, you know, they also just set those cameras there to really let us like find it. Yeah. Um, it was also uh, one of the last things we shot. And I think, I mean, I don't know, I can only speak for myself, but I think that Andy would agree with me that like those characters had really sunk in a lot and that like it's a, it's one, that's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Even, I, I don't even mean like the final product. I mean, I, I think it's turned out beautifully, but even when I read it, that, that was one of my favorite scenes. Yeah.
0: It's fascinating how much, that there was so much cut. Like, I, I think you, you talked about a couple other scenes that were cut. Because right? the movie feels so tight and so very precisely structured. So when you realize that there are things cut out of it, you're, or that you're saying that that Gene Squibb scene was written the, the night before, it's like, oh, these things are just, they evolve. And, like, it doesn't start as a perfectly polished product. You have to make it a perfectly polished product. Well,
1: and I think that's what's so fascinating about making things in general. Um, I would say that the older I get and the more things I make, the kinder I am in terms of like, when I watch something, it is so impossible to make something because even if you cross all your cheese and double your eyes, you could have the most incredible cast of all time. You could have the most incredible director, but we've seen this time and time again, there is like a magic fairy dust that mm. enters that's when a group of people is bigger than the, what is it? Some of their parts. Some, the, the, yeah, it's bigger the, than the sum of its parts. <laughs> oh Lord, <laughs> yeah. And a piece takes on a life of its own. And of course, people's individual work is important, but also like something else comes into it. Yeah. And I felt like that about this film. Like all of us wanted to be there. All of us believed in it. All of us like really worked so hard on it. And that shoot was brutal and we threw everything at the wall. But then there's also, I mean, I've done other things like that and then it turns out bad. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know how else to say it. Yeah. Like, you know? Um, and so I'm always really joyfully mystified by that stuff, I think it's like one of the most incredible things about making movies and TV and theater and, you know, songs and anything that's like, there's an element of the mystic, like mysticism, yeah. not to sound like, you know, I'm in a muumuu with a bunch of crystals, but I'm <laughs> basically
0: like two steps In, right in my mind, I'm in a muumuu with crystals. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think if you spent time on any film set, like... It's like even me as like journalist fizzling, you're like, how does anything ever turn out good? Like how do all of these moving pieces create something good? Because it's crazy the way that it actually happens. It's crazy. That's why when I see things, I don't read reviews. I don't read any
1: of the things I've been in, for sure. Um, nothing that anyone I like any of my friends, but really nothing. Hmm. I, I really stay away from reviews of any kind as sort of a principle because I think that it is not fair and I don't mean that in a in an Everybody Gets a Trophy way, um, it is so unbelievably hard to make something. Yeah. And even sometimes, like the worst things, no one goes in being like, I wanna make a piece of shit, <laughs> like no one, it's too yeah. hard,
0: no yeah. one does it.
1: And so I I remember I was in a play about 10 years ago uh, that I worked really hard on, and we all worked really hard on and it was the last time I've ever read a review and I believe it was Charles Ashworth of the New York Times, <laughs> Just, absolutely ripped us to shreds every single performance, every single part of the play. And like the play was deeply flawed. Sure. But I remember wanting to like go to his apartment and be like, you get up there. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. get up there, you write this and you get up there. And I understand that reviews are also because like people want to know where to spend their money. And I I, I get, I do get that. Um, and, but you don't have to read it. Yeah. I don't know. I just think that it's, uh, it's just so hard to make something. Yeah. And, and uh, I don't even mean that in like a, you know, I'm like fanning myself on a, I don't know, like on a Chez lounge. I mean, like, it's just takes a lot of people coming together and a lot of things have to go right. And normally people have good intentions. I mean, you know, clearly there's some stuff that's really tone deaf. That's a shame. But anyway, now I'm rambling.
0: But so when Palm Springs comes out, you you know that the reviews are good. You know that there's this like surge of energy behind it that maybe there are having that's a very great way to say it a surge of
1: energy right i've been a part of i've been a part of things that suddenly there's like crickets and i'll be like huh okay (laughs) yep (laughs) that's done (laughs) yeah (laughs) and then i've been a part of things that have like an immense life and uh like this and then i yes i have to assume you know i know that we got like i mean listen sometimes i'm still cc'd on emails where i'm like no 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 (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to because I also think that if you believe the good you have to believe the bad a little bit like it's a a system that's like it's very very tricky and um, I certainly don't have the constitution for it like I have friends who can read things and they can take the good and sort of eject the bad and I I wish I had a brain like that but mine likes to really grab onto things and just gnaw on it for years so I can't
0: (laughs) (laughs) what's your faith for theater for getting back together in 2021 how are we gonna how are we gonna get out of this you don't have to solve this problem, but what's giving you okay, personally faith, maybe? Um, just, the, you know, I keep
1: looking back at, and I understand that this is, we're in a new uh, world here, but I keep looking back at the Spanish flu.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm like, right, those two years, which is what everyone told us in March. When you yes. shut down, yeah. Fauci was like, this will be two years. And everyone was like, no. Nah! <laughs> <laughs> and like, it's going to be two years. Yeah. Um, it, As crazy as that is. And I just have faith in the... this sounds twee, but the power of the human spirit. So yeah, I'm very excited for when we come back and we feel some stuff together in a dark room.
0: Yeah. I feel like I'm going to be really awkward at first and like not know how to talk to anybody anymore, like face to face, but like that also, I hope
1: we can get over It's great. You know, this show I was just filming, there was a scene with, you know, probably like 25 extras and I had to shake hands and, and be very, very close Yeah, with a, with a large group of people. And we were all tested and, you know, they were very, very strict on our set. And we we got through um, all seven weeks of shooting. But that was the first time I'd been in a crowd. That's um, wild. And, and yeah, and it, it was, I, I was shocked, you know, as intellectually, intellectually, of course, I know like we've all been tested. We're all fine. We're yeah. all okay. Oh yeah, but you can't. And you take the mask off and you're in a room with 20 people. And like, and we've only been at this for, Nine months. Yeah. And yeah. already, I, my brain was like, have we ever been in a room of people? Have we been in a <laughs> restaurant before? I, I don't know if we ever went to a restaurant before. There was like, you know, in February, I was at that party that you were at. Also yeah. Running
0: around with, I don't know how many people are at. That. Elbow to elbow. I vividly remember like sliding. I don't think I physically touched Adam Sandler, but I was like s- squeezing through the crowd to get right past Adam Sandler. And I, I think about that all the time, like how close together I was with all these complete strangers, famous strangers, uh, and didn't think about it.
1: You know what weirdly I have missed a lot? It's so small, but um I go out to dinner with my friends a lot and I miss sharing food.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, yes. like the, small like, plates. I know, yes, like or like try this drink, like the thing, like uh uh-huh. that type of stuff. That Just, like super casual. That's super casual, thing. like your your close-knit group of friends all being like, Oh, this is good. Well, why don't you try mine? Okay, try this cocktail. Okay, I'm gonna order that like that. Yeah. I miss that. Mm-hmm.
0: And now let's hear Chris Rosen in conversation with Borat 2 director Jason Wolliner.
2: Hi, welcome back to Little Gold Men. I am Chris Rosen, a contributing writer for Vanity Fair. I'm joined by Jason Wolliner, the director of Borat's subsequent movie film. Jason, how are you? Great, Chris. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for doing this. A huge fan of the film. It was such a surprise. But I guess I wanted, I wanted to start uh, first. The idea for a sequel to Borat was First announced by Rupert Murdoch, I think, in two thousand seven. So the idea that there would be a sequel is not necessarily new to the cultural landscape, but obviously a lot has happened in that thirteen years since. Um, like, when did you get involved with it, and like, you know, how did that process play out for you?
3: Yes, so uh, you know, I remember when that was announced. I'm I'm not sure how much Sasha had to do with that, or how real or official that was, right. or <laughs> if that was just Murdoch going rogue. <laughs> um, you know. Obviously it's a movie that because the first movie was so successful, it uniquely made it much more difficult to do a second movie because it depended on regular people not knowing who Borat was, not knowing that he was a comedy character, not knowing about Sasha and his work and his uh, comedy. And um, But it was always you know something that kind of was, was rumbling, like, could he ever do a sequel? And... Um, I had met him a few times. Uh, we had some mutual friends. Uh, I worked with Nathan Fielder a bit and Nathan was friends with Sasha and I had met at his company uh, once or twice. And I talked to him about uh, working on Who Is America? Uh, we really got along, but the, the timing didn't really work out. So we kind of knew of each other. We, I mean, obviously I was a huge fan of his too, But and he knew of me, Um we didn't know each other well. And I got an email asking if I would be interested in talking to him about his new movie, and it didn't say, what it was, uh, or anything like that. And I said, Yeah, of course. And they sent me a script, and it was, you know, there, there all these layers of secrecy and encryption. And it wasn't really a script, it was really more of like, we call it an outline. It's somewhere between, you know, some of it's in script form, the kind of more scripted scenes, the stuff in the beginning and the end, and the stuff with him and Tutar. And, you know, then a lot of it is with these scenes with real people where. You know, they don't really know how it's going to go. So it's just kind of ideas for scenes, outlines, how scenes could go, story elements that we can get out of scenes, possible set pieces. And, you know, the word Borat is not in this document. The, you know, Kazakhstan, nothing uh, that if you did a search would tell you what this was. But, you know, within the first page, I was pretty sure he wasn't doing a, a movie about a, a journalist from Guatemala named Sergio. <laughs> and so I was I remember reading and going, oh, my God wow, he's doing it. He's finally doing it. And so I met with him and uh, a few other people on the team, Monica Levinson, uh, the producer, and Ant, who's one of the writers, and and a few other people. And we went in and we met and we just hung out and we talked about it. And for whatever reason, I was feeling kind of very punchy that day. I was very straight with him where I was like, look, you know, you you made... Borat's my favorite comedy. I think it's the funniest movie ever. Um, The expectations are going to be huge. It's almost impossible to do... A sequel that is going to live up to the expectations of what that would be. It would almost certainly be a disappointment. Uh, you know, comedy sequels are very hard. Long delayed ones are, are even harder. You're doing this, you have to do it completely in secret because if people catch you doing it then you can't keep doing it because people know you're out there making a Borat movie so you have to figure out a way around that. And, you know, at the same time, his whole thing he was like, you know, why Why did he want to do this movie now really was, was the Trump era basically inspired him to bring this character back and and kind of, you know, realizing that in a lot of ways, Trump has brought America to such kind of absurd, uh, terrifying, cartoony place that, it, you know, is not unlike the, the fictional Kazakhstan of, of the Borat universe. And so kind of seeing those connections and then an earnest desire to say, if we can put this out before the election uh, and kind of crystallize the moment in America and kind of show people... What has happened to America? Um it could, you know, potentially sway some people to go out and try to get get rid of Trump, or maybe people who are kind of half-heartedly supporting him maybe demoralize them to stay home. So there was that aim. And then, of course, there was this whole thing of, you know, this whole idea of the daughter. and could you, could you tell a story that actually could get audiences invested in it in this format, in a movie where most of the people on screen are real people who don't know that they're in a, a movie or a comedy movie? So it was very ambitious, and uh, and he, you know, I I kind of laid it down very straight, and of course he knew exactly, he agreed with everything I said and knew exactly how ambitious, how difficult, and nearly impossible it seemed. And, uh, and I think we were like, yeah, let's do it. Let's try to do something impossible. And then, you know, of course, uh, then COVID happened and made it... Uh, even less <laughs> doable.
2: So you have a bunch of stuff there I wanted to touch on, actually. But first, so you, obviously, coronavirus is such a large part of the film. How much of it was done before, you know, the world went into lockdown and everything changed from that
3: perspective, I guess? You know, we, we set out to shoot a lot of the movie in order um, for a number of reasons. For, you know, for Sasha and Maria, it's very good to kind of track that progress because we really were trying to figure out the story that people would invest in and also track her character and how she comes to America and changes and in this movie, how Borat comes and changes, uh, which, you know, doesn't really happen in the first movie. And so um, there was that uh, reason to shoot in order. And then there was also Sasha had a, an idea, a vision for the the overall structure of the movie, the overall story of the movie. But within that, a million things changed and story points and things that we came up with and things that, you know, would happen with a real person in one scene. We'd say, oh, that could could come back and be referenced here. And so we kept figuring out within the structure that the writers and Sasha had figured out um, all these new ideas. So we were shooting in order. So a lot of, you know, all the kind of makeover montage stuff was a lot of the earliest stuff that we shot and figuring out their dynamic and what's funniest with them on screen and what we love seeing them do together. And then you know, so it was actually kind of around the time where they split up, where, where COVID comes into the picture in the movie, was around the general area of when we shut down. And, you know, not, not perfectly so, but but it was at a point where we were able to, you know, when we decided to keep going, you know, we said we can't, you know, do we do we reference the pandemic in this movie? Is it going to be the last thing people are going to want to talk about? Is it going to be the last thing people want to see comedy about? Um, we're all in such a horrible year and, and such a, a weird state right now, but we decided that there was a, you know, hopefully a way to do it that wouldn't bum people out, that would be funny, that would provide kind of a release valve uh, for, for everyone watching because we're all going through this, this crazy thing together.
2: Yeah, I love uh, just to jump to. uh, I'll spoil this because I feel like the movie's been out a little bit, but uh, you know for a while. But just at the very end, you have the uh, the big effigies of uh, the the MAGA people coming to like you know kill Doctor Fauci. That part is so good and it's so funny. And I was just like, wow, the idea of you guys creating those effigies basically and having this happen is like a perfect, just perfect for this time. It's like definitely the right tone of comedy for uh, right now. So that was that was really good.
3: Oh, thanks. I'm so glad you like it. That was one of the last ideas, Uh, you know, towards the end is when we were uh, shooting in Romania, uh, shooting the parts in this very fictional kind of cartoony, absurd place that we call Kazakhstan in the movie. And that ending was going to be completely different. And that's one of those things where we try to, you know, Sasha creates an environment where you're always trying to top yourself. You're always trying to kind of push and figure out the best idea. And, And even if you've, you know, we had a whole huge sequence worked out, And then I believe it was Peter Bainham, one of the writers who pitched this running of the American idea. I I might be mistaken on that, but I'm pretty sure it was Peter. And we were almost done with shooting in Romania. We're like, oh, we have to do that. That's that's funnier and kind of, you know, more gutting (laughs) than the ending we had in mind and more, you know, more impactful, we thought. So everyone scrambled. We had, you know, our American crew members there. We had an amazing team of Romanian crew. And we said okay, remember the running of the Jew from the first movie? We need to do that. A uh, different version of it now, you know, and they scramble. so they built those heads in days, um, you know, from from the the moment this was pitched. And, you know, we're all working. It's, it's during COVID. We're all working over Zoom and conference calls, and, and no one's near each other. We were on a Zoom, and this idea came up. I think this idea might have actually come up on an iMessage thread between Sasha and the writers and myself and... And just on this thread, it's like, oh, my God, yes, that's great. Running the American, let's do that, that there's no better way at that. And, you know, to mix that with this sweet moment at the end, which is Borat and Tutar being reporters together, and he tells her she's amazing. And, you know, we have this very warm ending. And on the left side of the screen is still this grim reminder, um, we got to get Trump out. (laughs) We got to. This is our last chance, basically, before America goes off the cliff. Um, so to kind of hit those two things in that last moment felt, felt right to us. And so we found the same artist who had designed the original heads for the, the running of the Jew. We found the same sculptor, you know, a lot of the technologies, uh, improved. They were basically styrofoam heads. Some of them were sculpted by hand and some of them were 3D printed. And I got to visit his studio and see these incredible <laughs> heads being carved out of, uh, foam. They were painted in days. We had, you know, stunt performers inside. And and you know, just did it. So that came together in, in just a few days and then uh, and then we went home. And honestly, edited for a few weeks, and then delivered the movie, and then it was out a few weeks after that. That's
2: in, that's nuts. The, yeah, that is a great. I think the ending is the best. Like the with the running of the American, and the, you're right. Like the sweetness of the Tutar and Borat relationship, and they're like you know the song. I think it's just the two of us, right? Is the song so the needle drop there yes. at the end too? It's just, <laughs> just like it's like really sweet, and it's totally for a you know for a Borat film and for a comedy like that. It's not. Super, the expectation, right, to have like that kind of sweetness at the end, but with the Running of American on the side, um, <laughs> it's really, it's really quite good. Um, you mentioned earlier you were talking about like obviously the fact that Borat was such a surprise, and now this film, you know, is not going to be a surprise, right? Because he's our, you know, everybody knows who Borat is, and you got you do you obviously reference that in the film early on, where like he's recognized and stuff. I guess the thing that I found fascinating about this whole thing is unlike maybe 2005 or whenever he was, you know, shooting the first bore at, a lot of the stunts, let's say, or a few of them were like reported on, right? Like, so at CPAC that was covered, him uh, breaking in as a Trump impersonator, but nobody pegged it to Sasha, right? Like it was like some Trump impersonator came into CPAC and, and it was nobody connected it to Sasha. And then like the, uh, the right-wing rally in Seattle, obviously that was like reported on. And the Giuliani, you know, interview, Giuliani reported on it or, you know, tried to like get ahead of the curve uh, as it were by releasing it to the post. But still, even with all of that, nobody kind of grabbed onto the Borat of it. And I guess for you guys, was it like, kind of like, were you just like, trying to keep it that secret is that like where you're are you just like kind of like you know white knuckling it to hope that people don't connect it to Borat and just think it's like another Sasha stunt or whatever obviously he was working on something but nobody knew exactly what it was like how like were you guys how were you hoping to keep the surprise up like how far were you hoping it would go I guess as those things were breaking
3: yeah we We're really working hard to keep it a secret the whole time. You know, I didn't even, I I couldn't tell my agents what I was working on. This was the most (laughs) secret thing. And we only told a a small group of friends throughout the year and a half we were working on it. And we took it very seriously. We would never even really say Borat uh, while we were shooting, you know. uh, And so... Yeah, everything you mentioned it was an effort, you know, both for, to get something that works for the movie but also do it in a way that doesn't blow us before we're ready. And we knew, you know, the scene that he gets recognized, we, we we shot that at the end. That was one of the few things we did out of order because we knew if we had him out there with regular people and they see him, someone's going to take a picture, someone's going to, you know, post it. Or And it did, uh, someone put something on TikTok yeah. and it blew up and that was, you know, luckily though... And that is because we were shooting so down to the wire. That was only a few weeks before it came out. So by that point, I, I, I think when he is doing a project, you know, they did the same thing for Who is America? They basically kept that secret and they were shooting that for a long, long time. And that was much more about lots of political figures and, you know, the fact that Sasha was out there doing something would make it much harder for him to book people because people in that world, in the right-wing world, would be more on their guard knowing that he's he's out there. And, and so um you know for this a lot of it is just regular people but at the same time you don't want people knowing that he's up to something or being able to put it together and and no we were it was it was a mix of a lot of planning and white knuckling and then and some luck that we were able to kind of keep it under wraps until the very end yeah i
2: i wanted to talk a little about uh maria Bakalova. i know you like i know sasha's talked about how you guys like you know Auditioned that, like uh, hundreds of, of, of actresses for that role and like finding her, and she's incredible in it and like has gotten like legitimate and very deserved, I think, awards buzz for that performance. It's like she's really quite good as like a newcomer that, you know, and keeping up with Sasha. I guess, you know, I want to talk to you a little about like you being a director. They're actors, but they're in these situations where they have, like, one shot, I would imagine, to, like, interact with, like, a real person. And there's some scripted stuff, but not enough that's, like, it's not, like, a, a scripted scene, let's say. I guess how do you, as a director, how did you work with her on the performance? She's so quick. You're getting one shot at a lot of these scenes, and it's, like, incredible watching her. So I guess, like, how do you prep
3: her for that work? Or is it just that she's a natural, I guess, too? Like, what is it? You know, she is a natural. I think to do this kind of work, I think Maria is an incredible actor, but I think this is not only do you have to be a great actor, there's a whole other skill set involved in in acting with a real person in the real world who doesn't understand exactly what the project is or that they're part of a comedy scene and not just coming off like a comedian. And and so we did, we tested other uh, actors who were amazingly funny and they would say one joke that sounded too much like a written joke and the person's alarm bells would go off. And so that's how delicate it is that you can just you can blow these scenes immediately. Sasha has been doing it so long and he's also the only person in the world that that does this thing to bring someone new in. Yeah, what we basically did was we we rehearsed with her a lot. We would do a lot of, you know, scenarios, basically. So there is there's so much writing that goes involved, you know, in this. There's a lot of great improv in the middle of these things and they find moments and discover jokes But also, Sasha and Maria have to just become familiar with, just get down tons and tons of material, because the way we rehearse these is, okay, you're in this store, we know you wanna get to the point where you're eating, you know, lipstick, but if this person does this, we want you to do this, or we want you to, you know, if this is the reaction, you could do this, here's a funny line to say. And so they have to remember just reams and reams of material and so we would rehearse with Maria and rehearse, okay, if the scene goes this way, here's something you can do. If it goes this way, here's something you could do. And then we would have signals too. You know, there would be moments where I'm able to signal something to her on set or, you know, we're, we're taking a, a five minutes and we're able to kind of, without being busted, you know, get a few ideas across or say, okay, let's do this now. And, but, but like you said, there are no second takes. There's no cut. Let's do that again. It's, you get one shot at this stuff. So any kind of on set directing in the scenes with real people has to be very under the radar, and most of it is, you know, it's similar to a, a kind of more normal thing. Uh, rehearsal goes a long way in terms of getting uh, an actor's, you know, for her, for her case, her head in the right place, knowing what's what's going to be too far, how to tell if so if you're losing someone, you know, that kind of thing. Um, we we just rehearsed, but she, I mean, yes, yeah, she's an incredible, incredible find.
2: She's amazing. And uh, on the flip side of that, too, I wanted to ask you a little about like with someone like Jeansy Jones, right, who who plays uh, the babysitter slash like mentor for, for uh, Tutar, like basically you're not directing her, I'd imagine. But she knows that you're fi- – like like. can you explain a little about how that – how you worked with her without like – I understand you probably don't want to give away too many of the tricks and stuff. But obviously like like how do you work with that person, like a non-actor who, again, is in scenes though – what do you tell them? Like, how does that work?
3: Sure. Well, yeah, you know, a lot of the directing side of, of that with, with real people is creating an environment where people can just be themselves, reveal themselves, not clam up on camera, be free to say what they think, to say what they would in a normal situation. Because, you know, there's a, we shot so much. We shot scenes that will never see the light of day where we would just be with someone for a few minutes and realize they were the wrong type of person, um, that, you know, they were like too reality groomed or were like talking as though they were on a reality show or knew a little too much, you know, were too, too slick and performing too much. And that's not what we want. We want people to kind of be themselves, the good and the bad, you know, and, and, and a great thing, um, something that, you know, we're proud of with this movie is, you know, a, a, an example like Janice or, um, Judith Dim Evans, the Holocaust survivor, who's sadly no longer with us, or even the lockdown guys, Jim and Jerry, we were able to find moments where you you really like these people, you see the good side of people, you see empathy and kindness and patience and honesty. And um, in surprising ways, uh, was something we're really excited about. So, you know, for something like Janice, which was day two of shooting, I believe. So Maria... We really didn't have much rehearsal time in terms of that one. We kind of threw her right in. And uh, and she spent the whole day with Janice, stayed in character the entire day. And for that, you know, yeah, just like you said, almost every scene in the movie, the real people know they're on camera. They know they're being documented. They know they're part of a filmed project. Of course, they don't know exactly what the project is and that it's a comedy and that these are not real people that they're interacting with. If anything, I'm just kind of helping create the environment where she feels free to speak honestly. You know, I would never tell her what to say. We'd never tell anyone what to say. Hey, can we get you saying this? It's much less directed than a reality show. Uh, you know, we're basically just kind of turning on the cameras and I'm giving permission to, you know, you know, she'll discover in the scene that Tutar is going to get surgery and she needs to be comfortable knowing that she can be honest with her basically is, is my job, but but never to tell them what to say. Um, and to try to just capture real moments and mostly once, once that's going on, you know, mostly stay out of the way.
2: You mentioned before, um, you know, like we were saying, like there's one shot at a lot of these scenes that definitely feels like you could feel that in the Giuliani scene, obviously, because the film builds to that, uh, moment. And like, it's like so tense for a viewer because you know, it's like happening and like real, I guess. You know, and I know Sasha and, and and Maria have talked about this too. So I, I, about the scene, but I guess like what did like what kind of like what did you tell Maria before that scene? You know, how did it play out compared to like what you were hoping it would play out? I guess like I'm sure you guys like
3: imagined how it could play out, but like how did it how did it match what you had hoped? You know, in a scene like that, you talk about every possible thing that could happen, and really, it's just trying to reassure her that you know she's safe, everything is taken care of. You know he's hiding in the closet no one else was in the room you know rudy thought they were the only people in the room of course because we we uh cleared out the whole crew um using covid safety as an excuse so it was just him and her as far as he knew and yeah just rehearse the interview and rehearse oh here's what could happen oh if he goes to the bedroom here's what could happen make sure you know we're there we're safe we're, you're safe we're watching i was very close watching And then we're just kind of watching it. I'm texting with Sasha, deciding, you know, when he should leap out and just kind of taking it moment to moment. And when he, you know, is asking for her number, when he's touching her lower back, he sits on the bed. Just every moment, it's me and Aunt, the writer, sitting next to me. And we're just like, oh, my God, oh, my God. (laughs) And then, then, you know, he, of course, lies down on the bed and puts his hands down his pants and... uh, yeah, we were like, okay, that's that's about it. <laughs> that's okay, I think we got it. Uh, <laughs> uh, it was all pretty incredible to watch, watch in real time. But, you know, for her, she was fully on her own uh, for that. And and like I said, it was just talking through, here's different ways it can go, here's things you can say, and uh, and then just kind of hoping for the best. And she was incredible.
2: The thing that cracked me up in, in hindsight is that when Rudy, like, went to the post, he was like, oh... I was doing an interview and Sasha broke in, which leads me to believe that he thought the interview was still legitimate even after that moment. And I guess, could you comment on that? Or what, not to ask, I don't mean to ask you to like read his mind, that but is, how did you read his comments? Because he literally said to the post, like I was doing that interview and
3: then like Sasha came in, yeah. <laughs> that was my understanding of that, art of, of his depiction of it. My understanding was that he he felt like the interview was a decoy, you know, because he thought, "Oh, this is a weird interview," and then Sasha Baron Cohen jumped out, but he didn't get me. So I, uh, I, I feel like he thought the the whole rest of it. I don't think he understood that we had hidden cameras in the bedroom at that point, and I think he just thought the whole thing was about Sasha running out in lingerie and and saying boo, <laughs> and and didn't understand till later, yeah. uh, kind of the full. <laughs> context of the scene is that he, you know, I mean, ultimately he's the, he's the, the villain, <laughs> you know, which I don't think I, I've ever seen anything like it in the movie. That's why we're so excited about it. It's like, we're taking a real life villain <laughs> and making him the villain, you know, in this movie, creating, you know, this scene where he just thinks he's in this interview with this nervous young female reporter um, who is kind of just intimidated by him and impressed by him. And, you know, when you watch it in the movie, we wanted to just put so much, and that's uh Sasha's brother, uh, Aaron did incredible scoring for it. And it just um it creates so much tension because once you know the full context of it, you know, essentially it's this climactic scene. Uh, it's basically a thriller. Sasha said it's like a it's like a, a thriller um, where he's going for the gun, but his, his penis is the gun, <laughs> essentially. And at the same time we're playing this like almost like wacky French farce of him coming in with uh, as the boom guy and, and Rudy, of course, doesn't know who he is, where he comes in in this ridiculous, <laughs> like probably the, the goofiest costume of the whole movie where he looks fully like a Peter Sellers character that Rudy is just kind of interacting <laughs> with. And it's like, yeah, you can still be, you know, at this top level and still um, interact with, with this kind of cartoonish character. And and uh, I mean, that's part of what's so incredible about, about what Sasha does. Yeah, I will say the the scene is obviously made you know international headlines
2: and kind of like you know recreated a, like a multi day news cycle. But watching it, even still, the first time and multiple times that I've watched it, I'm like blown away that his he's so uh, in the actual interview with Maria, he's so outraged The things he says are so outrageous, and like I couldn't believe he was saying them aloud. Like he actually says that China manufactured the coronavirus at one point, I believe, in the interview, and I'm just like, that's like to have him actually admit that. In, in what he thinks is an interview when it's like a third rate, you know, Facebook conspiracy basically uh, is just fascinating <laughs> to me. I'm just like, I can't believe that that, and it's like that part barely registered in all the outrage and headlines about it because the rest of it is so over the top. Like you said, like the villainy is just uh, kind of wild. <laughs> so it's, it's a really nuts scene. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Thanks. We wanted to put that stuff in there. For the same reason we wanted to, you know, we felt like it was so important to put Pence saying in CPAC, that there's only been 15 cases of covid and we're you know we're good we got it we're it's over um because to watch that you know when the movie came out on October 23rd is just you know as shocking as anything else in the movie where it's like these guys have been so willfully negligent they knew exactly what it was what was going on i mean it turned out this movie was like the least embarrassing thing of of Rudy's month that month that um it almost made it less impressive because he's just like somehow in the weeks following this with the With the Four Seasons landscaping and, like, the, I mean, just everything. He's just, like, this farting COVID monster (laughs) who's just, like, just kind of. Jumping around the country, spreading uh, disease on everybody—it's—it was—it's uh, it's been, been a really boon,
2: boon time for Rudy uh, and headlines. It seems like uh, he's been all over. Yeah. so <laughs> I want to ask you one last yeah. thing about yeah. I want to ask you one last thing about Maria too. So like you said, you shot a ton of stuff and like a lot of it maybe not even in the film. I know after the movie came out, I think on social media you guys put up a a video of her being like toured around the White House with. Uh, uh, the O A N N reporter. Uh, I think her name is uh, Chanel Rion. I, 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 I is that it? Or it? I believe that's yeah. That's how um, I pronounce it. So I guess like was that just like you're just going to keep taping and you're able to do this or like can you talk a little about how you guys why you did that
3: one and how that kind of happened? Yeah, we just we we you know we film for a long time. We film a lot of stuff that that we don't use or we you know we experiment. We try and this was like could we get you know before. People know who Maria is. We knew we had a ticking clock until the movie was announced. Her name would get out there. We had this opportunity where we have this window of time where no one knows who Maria is. And we had a hunch that she would become one of the most famous people on the planet as soon as the, the word of the movie got out. And so, um, yeah, it was just something we did kind of late in the game to see see what we could do. And, you know, a, a lot of the movie is very experimental where we just try things and then sometimes things make it in and they influence things later on in the movie or change things. And some things are are like that, where we're like, well, we, you know, we don't know how exactly this fits in with the, the 95 minute cut of the movie, but we know we had this incredible thing where she was invited to the White House um, without having to take a COVID test or anything and given a tour of the briefing room, given a tour by uh, OAN, which is, you know, basically this propaganda outfit that pretends it's a news service. And, a week later, there was that crazy COVID outbreak among the Trump people that uh, just shows you how reckless and dangerous the, the environment was. Unfortunately, fortunately, you know, Maria didn't, you know, catch anything and she was safe. Um, but uh, yeah, pretty crazy. We have, I mean, I don't even think it made it into the, <laughs> I don't think it made it into the video that we put out, but on Jared Kushner was being interviewed on the White House lawn by Fox Business and... You see Maria wandering around in the background of the shot, <laughs> and if someone actually, someone—I don't know if anyone—I think <laughs> it was in our video, maybe it was. But if you find when he was interviewed uh, in the month before the movie came out on Fox Business, talking—I forget what he was talking about—but you can actually see uh, Borat's daughter wandering around in the background. I think, and and I think the other wow. uh, news channels like yelled at our crew from being like, "Who is this girl? Get her out of here." <laughs> Oh my god. And I guess
2: last thing before we wrap up, uh, uh, ending on a happier note, uh, you have a great cameo at the end of the film from uh, America's dad, Tom Hanks. Uh, it's it, The way it ties in is really fun. I guess, can you talk like, was that just something where you guys were like, hey, what if we tried to get Tom Hanks because he was like the most prominent person to get coronavirus at the beginning? And like, it, how did that work out?
3: Because it's so great. And it's like a really fun uh, surprise, honestly. So it's really good. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I wish it was a more exciting story. It was one of those things, I mean, it was a, a, an idea that made us all laugh uh, that one of the writers came up with. And, you, you know, Sasha knows him and, was, and just wrote him a, a message and asked if he would be willing to do it. And uh, to our great fortune, uh, he said yes. And we shot it very quickly. I think it was the last thing we shot on the last day. And um, that's actually me in the scene taking a selfie with him. I jumped in as a, as a tourist because we just <laughs> needed someone. So he wasn't standing there by himself. And uh, it was super fun. Yeah, he was just super cool. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's really great. When did yeah, you guys, no, I mean, was, was that the-
2: like, when did you come up with the idea of having like, at spread coronavirus because it's just so. I love that. That's such a funny, uh, that felt like very to me like a Seinfeldian curb your enthusiasm type. Like, you know, how like the plots always lock into place <laughs> at the very end, and that kind of felt like that, where it's like, oh, he's responsible for this whole thing, and it's very cute. I guess, like, had it like, was that something you guys came up with like toward the end, or like you know, in the beginning of quarantine, or like what were you thinking?
3: The first rumblings I heard of it was we had we had a little screening of some, you know, we, we would shoot a bit piecemeal, we would shoot a few weeks, we would come back, we would work on them, we'd figure out what's working best, and we would adjust and go back out on the road from the beginning. And in, I think, late February, or late February was CPAC, that was, I think, February twenty second uh, 27th, we came back, um, and this is now, you know, that's when Pence is saying it's over, and suddenly, you know, this tidal wave hits, is like, oh, this is about to change our lives, and... It was, like, a few days before the lockdown. It was probably the first week of March where we had a little screening um, for some friends in comedy and in film, and I think I made a joke introducing it. I was like, yeah, this is probably the last time this is going to be seen in a the theater. <laughs> I thought it was a joke. <laughs> um, I was hoping it was a joke. I mean, really, I mean, I don't know if you remember February, March. Like, I, I don't think any of us expected that our lives would be completely changed for a full year, uh, you know, so that was like a funny thing. And then we were just like, what if, yeah. and then I just remember talking to people and they're saying, oh, we should, it just kind of the idea came up, but yeah, it should be, it should be Borat's fault. What if he came to America? <laughs> and, and and that was his, that was his secret mission that he wasn't aware of. And then, then the writers worked on it and talked about it and came up with the whole idea of revealing it in that kind of usual suspects way. And, uh, yeah, we just, we, you know, it's just the thing that made us laugh, and obviously it was risky. We're like, when this comes out, is it, is it just going to be too upsetting <laughs> for people? And, you know, luckily for us, I think people are, you know, able to able to to laugh at it despite the the complete darkness that we're we're all faced with every day and the horribleness going on. That that it just felt like people were were ready to just kind of blow off some steam yeah. <laughs> about yeah. all this. Yeah, it stuff. It's definitely
2: uh, it works. You know, I saw the first Borat. I can remember seeing it in a movie theater and it was definitely one of those very great uh, theatrical experiences that we don't have anymore. And I watched this one at home and I still laughed my head off a lot. And I think a lot, of, obviously, I think people really enjoyed it too. So Jason, thank you uh, so much for doing this.
3: I really appreciate it. Oh, uh, thanks so much. Thanks for chatting. This was fun.
0: That does it for this week's show. We hope you all have a very happy new year and that 2021 brings us uh, some calmer adventures maybe in the year ahead. Um, In the meantime, you can find us all at VanityFair.com, on Twitter, at LittleGoldman, and on our own, you probably know where to find us. Happy new year. We'll see you in 2021. This episode was edited and produced by Brett Fuchs.